Amen. So we're going to start with a question. What is a good life, or what does a life well lived look like? I'm aware, actually, I often start with a question and then just assume you answer it in your mind, but I'm not going to do that. Turn to the person next to you or someone nearby and just for one or two minutes, just share, you don't have to give a full answer in that short time, just maybe a couple of things you would include in your answer. What is a good life? What does it look like to live well? A couple of minutes and I'll bring you back. Share one another, what would you include in your answer? Okay, if I can ask you just to draw that conversation to a close. Uh, I'm confident from today's passage we're going to find some answers to those questions. What we see there is a description of someone living a good life, living life well. Um, personally, I think in the section in the Bible it's got the heading, maybe it's not as helpful as it might otherwise be. And I'm not dismissing God's word. Those section headings are not part of the original text, so I'm not dismissing God's word. Don't panic. Uh, but the heading says the wife of a noble character and in, in one translation I looked at it even said the excellent wife uh, and I kind of thought if I was a wife seeing that I would probably come along with quite a bit of trepidation <laughs> wondering what's going to be said but you can relax well to a certain degree uh, it isn't going to be a sermon with a man standing at the front telling you how to be a better wife I have a great wife but I don't have much experience of being a wife um, and I'm afraid husbands you need to stand down your elbows so if you were planning for the little nudge at the appropriate times to make sure your wife is paying attention, you're not going to get that opportunity, I'm afraid. Uh, I think it's a message for all of us, male or female. Uh, this is a great woman, wise woman, who is a role model for all of us, whether we're male or female. Now, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, as Jim reminded us, and now we've reached right at the end, the passage about this wise woman living well, living a good life. Now, I don't know how you answered that question. You just had an opportunity to think about what a good life looks like. Maybe afterwards, some of you could share with me what you said. But it's interesting, if we look to the world before we look at God's word, what does the world say? What do people offer us as answers to that question? I think there are multiple possible answers. So some would say, well, just live a life of fun and entertainment. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever makes you happy. For other people, it would be all about power. Or maybe for some, it's all about relationships and sex. That's what life is all about. For others, the main thing is to be environmentally friendly. Or we're told, be a celebrity and life will be great. Get rich. Get all the money you can. Be healthy and live as long as you can. Leave a legacy to be remembered by. And those things are not terrible. <laughs> There's some good things in there. But what I want us to think about, are they the foundation for a good life? I think what we're going to hear from the passage today should challenge all of those things. And maybe some of those things are the way you think, and your thinking will be jarred with what I share from God's Word. And so I'd encourage you to remember Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. If we want to live a good life, if we want to live the best life we can, then I say we need to pay attention to what God is saying in Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. And interestingly, I discovered this was a new discovery for me. Actually, this passage is written as a poem, and apparently it's an acrostic poem, which you wouldn't see in the English translation. 
But in the Hebrew, it, each line starts with a, a different letter from the Hebrew alphabet, and actually it's the alphabet in order. So here we have God's A to Z of living a good, wise life. God's given us a full description of what a good life looks like. So by the end of it, my aim, my hope, my prayer is that you are persuaded that a good life is a life committed to following Jesus. It's as simple as that. The good life is a life committed to following Jesus. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Christian, do you really believe that's true? Do you absolutely believe your life of following Jesus, your life of Christian discipleship, is the best life you can possibly live? Maybe you're not quite convinced. Hopefully you will be by the end. Maybe you're already convinced and this will just encourage you in that. If you're not yet a Christian, my prayer is that this Today, you may think, well, this isn't going to apply to me, but I hope it speaks to you more clearly than anybody else, that you will see the greatest and wisest decision you could ever make would be to follow Jesus. So let's have a look at this woman uh, held up to us as a role model. We're going to look at her character and what we know of her life. Uh, and as Jim, again, has already reminded us, we need to start with her faith. That's not where the passage starts. Uh, it actually, it's not until right near the end that we hear she fears the Lord but the book of Proverbs has repeatedly told us that real wisdom begins with fear of the Lord so that seems like a sensible place to start she fears the Lord she knows God well and I think she's devoted to God and I think we see that in the amount of wisdom she has and how she's so willing to obey God's wisdom and if we're going to live a good life we need to start in the same place do we fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? There may be some of you here who answer that question with a no. I would, I, I can't quite say it strongly enough, I'd strongly encourage you, I would impede you, implore you. If we were one to one, I would go on about it for as long as you could stand. Make that commitment today. There is no better decision you could ever make. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way to be reconciled to God. He's the only way to truly know God. He's the only way to forgiveness and eternal life with God. Jesus is the Saviour King and he's calling you today to follow him. Well, I assume most of you said yes to that question. At some point you've acknowledged who Jesus is and you've put your faith in him for salvation. But how committed are you to your discipleship? How devoted are you to Jesus and following him? I think unfortunately sometimes as Christians when we, pre when we present the faith to non-Christians we make it sound like it's just a one-off decision. But surely we know it's more than that. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a commitment to a new life. A life in relationship with the one who created us. The one who loves us. The one who saves us. The one who's preparing a new creation for us. So to live a good life, first thing you need is the faith and commitment to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. And then fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. And we see here the woman has wisdom. Again, it's slightly later in the passage, only referred to once in verse 26. But in there we read she shares wisdom and guidance with others. So you may think, well, it's not really obvious she's got wisdom, but I think 
If you think about the book of Proverbs, it'd be weird, wouldn't it, if we got to the end of the book that's all about wisdom, and we see this role model, and we're not supposed to assume that this is somebody living wisely. She clearly has the wisdom of God, and that has comes from her faith, her fear of the Lord. And again, it, it, the same is true for us today. I don't know if she's a real woman or just held up as a, a, an example. So it was written as a poem. And if it was a real woman, how long ago she lived. Centuries apart, the same is still true for us today. When we have faith, when we trust in Jesus, we too have access to the full wisdom of God. It says in Colossians 1, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul wouldn't be praying that if he didn't think it could happen. The believers could be filled with the wisdom of God. And I want to encourage all of you, whether you're young or old, male or female, no matter what nationality you are, whatever differences there are between us, we all have access to the same wisdom. There's no one here who has access to more wisdom or less wisdom, because we all have faith in the same Jesus. We all share the same spirit. We all read the same Bible. So just as the woman described in Proverbs, one could access the wisdom of God, all of us who are Christians can access the wisdom of God. But that doesn't just happen. Uh, kind of thing, it's not like our brains are like uh, a computer or phone where you can download apps. God doesn't just download all of his wisdom. In Proverbs, if you've been paying attention, there's, there's an active role for us to play in that. We have to seek it and find it and want it. And so for us today, that comes to us through our relationship with Jesus, through listening to Jesus, and by being part of Jesus' people, the church. So to live a good life, you need the wisdom that comes from following Jesus. I think when we look at the wisdom in Proverbs, it's contrast with the world, it's so much better, it's dynamic. Often we hear from the world, wisdom is just having some knowledge. Uh, but once we have God's wisdom, we realise how dynamic it is. It isn't just intellectual knowledge, it works in our hearts, it changes us and transforms us. It changes our character and our behaviour. And I think that's the main focus of the passage. Uh, it's looking at a woman who fears the Lord, has God's wisdom, and how does that impact her character and her behaviour? I'm going to get you to speak to the person next to you again. This time the question is, what makes a good friend? What makes a good friend? Again, just one or two minutes. Think of two things that you look for in a good friend. Okay, if I can get you to come back together. We're going to look at the uh, character of this great wise woman in Proverbs 31. Bit of a whistle-stop tour. Hopefully you can see that I am taking it from God's word. So... Her character is described as noble. I think if you look through, you'll see she's trustworthy, she's good, she's faithful, she's hardworking, resourceful, diligent, loving, she has self-control, she's sacrificial, she's shrewd, she's organised, pays attention to detail, she's kind and generous, she is well prepared and plans ahead, she has strength and dignity. How does that compare with what you would look for in a friend? How does that compare? That's the character who's someone who fears the Lord and has the wisdom of God. 
I think she sounds like great wife material, and I think she sounds like great friend material. The passage is actually part of a longer passage. Uh, King Lemuel had some advice from his mother, and he passed it on through the book of Proverbs, and this is her advice to him about choosing a good wife. I thought it was really interesting. Again, when you contrasted what the world was saying, if, if we had one of the younger boys, younger men, and they were saying, what should I look for in a wife? Is that the list we would share with them? I think the world might talk more about what's on the outside. And yet here in Proverbs 31, it tells us, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. A good wife is one who has faith and wisdom and has the character and behaviour that comes from that. And when it comes to the people we want around us, I'm sure when you talked about what makes a good friend, you may not have had exactly the same list, but you talked about their character. It's character that matters when we're choosing who we're going to do life with. It's character. And yet I was really challenged. I, I agree myself with that statement. When I think of my wife, my friends, I think of what character am I looking for? But how much attention do I pay to my own character? How much attention do you pay to your character? Do you read that description of the woman in Proverbs 31 and just think that sounds boring or too hard? That seems like a lot of effort to live like that. Or maybe you think, I could never be like that. Or I'm just not like that. Well, this is a character worth pursuing for ourselves. Because if we look again at the verses, look at how people respond to somebody with a character like this. We're told at the start of the passage she's worth more than rubies. Her husband trusts her completely. Her children call her blessed and her husband praises her. She should be praised. She should be given honour and praise. She's attractive to people, well-liked and loved. Not because of her charm or beauty. We're told those are not the things that matter. People are attracted to her, ultimately, and love her because of her faith her wisdom and her character. So then I ask myself this question, so I'm going to ask you, well, do I want to be a good friend? Do you want to be a good friend, a good wife or a husband, a good parent or child, a good neighbour? Do you want to be the kind of person other people are attracted to and respect and honour? If you answer yes to any of those, you need to work on your character. But it isn't impossible. You need a Christ-like character, but it's Christ who will help us get that character. When we talk about sanctification, one of those big church words you may not fully understand, sanctification, that ongoing work of the Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. That's what we need to seek from God, that he does that work in us. And again, I was really struck, I'm reading Proverbs 31, a description of a wise woman, and immediately made me think of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Could easily be a description of the woman in Proverbs 31. A woman with a Christ-like character. And if we are committed to following Jesus, if we're active in our discipleship, then that fruit of the Spirit should be more and more evident in our own lives. I'd encourage you to reflect on how much of the fruit of the Spirit is seen in your life. Maybe ask somebody close to you, ask them to be gentle. 
but others often see this more than we see in ourselves. What aspects of the fruits of the Spirit do people see in you? Are you patient? Are you kind? The wisdom of God is dynamic. If we're engaging with God, it will not leave us as we are. It will make us more like Jesus. To live a good life, you need the godly character that comes from following Jesus. But God's wisdom doesn't just change our character, it also then goes on to change our behaviour. And I think that to sum up the behaviour of the woman in this passage, very simply, she does good works. We could look at the specific things, but I decided they wouldn't be as helpful. Hands up if you've uh, spun any wool recently or planted the vineyards. I didn't think the task she actually does would be applicable to us, but there are some principles to what she's doing that makes her works good. She works really hard, is the first one. She's never idle. So you can look at verses 13, 17, 19, and 27 in particular. And not only does she work hard, she is eager to work hard, and she is vigorous in her work. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, I, I think the first thing I'd want to encourage you to imitate her in that is work is part of God's design. It's part of God's design and plan. So if you're a pupil or a student, you should apply yourself fully to your studies. If you're an employee, you should be productive and hardworking at work. And beyond that, we all have work in our homes and our families, or maybe we do things in church, for charities, or other things we volunteer for, we have tasks and work to do. We should do them willingly and eagerly. Because it tells us in Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your hearts. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So let's be people who work hard if we're following Jesus. I think another reason to work hard is actually we see in the woman that it's through work that we get the material things we need. And so we, if we have the opportunity to work, and not everyone does, to provide for ourselves, that is a blessing. That is a blessing to us. If we can work to earn money to pay our mortgage, pay our bills, put food on the table, that is a blessing. So let's make the most of it and work hard. Be eager to do your work and work vigorously. I think one that really, really should clash with the dominant worldview around us uh, the second thing I'd see in her good work, she is absolutely focused on others more than herself. It is not a woman who needs frequent me time. She has a servant heart. And it's clear it will involve sacrifice and be costly. Even what might seem like a simple sacrifice, getting up whilst it's still dark to make breakfast for everyone. And it's the same example Jesus set for us, the ultimate sacrificial suffering servant. And Jesus told us the parable of the Good Samaritan. He told us one of the greatest commandments is to love our neighbour as ourselves. He was encouraging us to have that same attitude, to be sacrificial servants. And in Philippians, we're encouraged to have that same attitude as Christ has. So being other-focused, again, is part of the character of Jesus. It's what it means to love others. So if we're the people of God, people should see that in us too. I'm going to give you just a moment. Think of someone you could bless in the next day or two. 
Not something you could do for someone else that they might then do something back for you. Just someone sacrificially, it might cost you. But just do it because it's good for them. Think of someone and something you could do for them and commit to do it. Uh, and the third thing I think I, I thought was a theme that ran through her works, her good works, was how she used her time. Very intently, uh, very intentionally, and very productively. And it'd be easy to read that passage and think, oh my goodness, does this woman ever give herself a break? Does she even sleep? Um, she seems to be on the go all the time. She has a very, very full life. She attends to her household and her family, she does her own work, she attends to her business, and she even has time to give advice and guidance to others. A pretty full-on life. And I know, again, it's a cultural thing. We often, amongst ourselves, talk about how busy we are. And yet previous generations, I can imagine a little bit what it would have been like for women living at this time. Barely a fraction of the time that we have for entertainment, travel, recreation, that kind of thing. And yet we've got more free time than any generation has ever had, and yet we feel busy. I think there might be good reasons for that. Some of us might actually be busy. But I would challenge you, is it not because... We don't use our time well, so our time often feels a bit squeezed, a bit disorganised. We're not intentional about how we use our time and what we use it for. Do we actually value our time highly enough? It's precious. We have a limited amount of it and once it's gone, we never get it back. So let's use it well. The, the role model we're being shown here in God's Word used her time well. So we're seeing good works that flow directly from a faith in God. And that's why Jesus tells us, I think, in, in Matthew 5, that our good works will bring glory to God, because the link between good works and faith should be obvious. And in the book of James, it's explained to us. Good works are evidence of genuine faith. And Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So to live a good life, we should do the good works that are evidence of a commitment to following Jesus. So here we have a woman, genuine faith, she has access to the wisdom of God, that shapes her character and that flows out into good works. She's living a good life. But one other thing I think in there that isn't necessarily obvious is she doesn't keep that to herself. This isn't a secret, we're not a secret society that we want to keep just to ourselves what we believe. If you look at verse 26, it says she uh, shares wisdom and teaches others. I think it's reasonable to assume she tells them to fear the Lord if they're not doing that. I think it's reasonable to assume she will pass on some of the wisdom of God that she has, what we might call evangelism. And we're called to the same too, so Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to make disciples around the world. But also for that to be seen in our lives. Matthew 5 again, and also Philippians 2. We will shine among them like stars in the sky. Because of our faith, we should stand out by what we say and what we do. Jesus came to make the wisdom of God known and to show people how to live this good life. And it's not something we should keep private and keep to ourselves. To live a good life is to encourage others to commit to follow Jesus. 
And I am mindful, when, when we come to the Bible and a role model, an ideal is held up for us, uh, our response could be, well, I'm just not good enough, we become despondent. One encouragement is, the passage tells us this woman is a rarity, so this isn't kind of what everyone should look like, she's a rarity. But I think we need to remember that God's word doesn't want us just to stop by looking at the woman and her character and her conduct. It wants us to look beyond that to what she is pointing to. She has some of the wisdom of God, but Jesus is the wisdom of God. She has an increasingly godly character, but Jesus has the very nature and character of God. She's living a good life. Jesus lived the perfect life. She shares the wisdom of God with others. Jesus perfectly reveals God and makes known the wisdom of God. So when we fall short of this standard we're being set, we can look to Jesus, because he's done it all for us. Living a good life will not save us. Jesus has already lived the greatest life ever to secure our forgiveness and salvation. So we don't live a good life to be right with God, to be saved. We live a good life because it pleases and glorifies God, because it blesses others, and it is the best life we can possibly live. So I said, if, you, if we went out on the street, if we went around Canada and said to people that question we started with, what does a good life look like? I think we get a whole multitude of answers. The best answer I can give you is that good life is one where you follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Through Jesus, we know God, and we can be in that relationship with the one who created us. Through Jesus, we can receive the very wisdom of God. Through Jesus, our character is shaped to become more like his. And through Jesus, we can do good works that will bring glory to God in heaven. The best life is the life committed to following Jesus.